Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 99 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I actually cannot believe I'm already at episode 99. In some ways, it feels like this just started and I just started my podcast, but in other ways, I know that it has grown and changed over these past two years. So next week, we are having a very special 100th episode, and that one will be quite a bit different from what I've done in the past. Now, I am a little nervous about this, but what we've decided to do is that Eric and I are going to host a live stream event. The live stream will be able to be seen on YouTube, which is the Always Andy's Mom YouTube channel also on Facebook and on Twitter. So there will be many different platforms that you can use. Um, I am going to want people to submit questions that Eric and I can answer. So if you have any burning questions for me about what I'm doing or what I've done or where we've been, feel free to ask that. You can do that ahead of time as well by emailing me at Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at andysmom.com. Also, we will be monitoring things through Facebook, so you can send those live messages there. I'm not exactly sure how things will work, so we will be kind of learning as we go, but I'm excited to do this event just to be able to hear directly from listeners a little bit. Know that if there aren't a lot of questions, I still will just share what I feel like I've learned over the past couple of years and have Eric share some things as well. So today I have the privilege of talking with Kate, Miles's mom. Kate is yet another guest from Ontario, Canada. So before you all start accusing me of only uh, interviewing Canadians now, know that the next month I do have uh, quite a few American guests set up, and I am happy to speak with guests from any country. So it's just a little funny that I've had so many people from Ontario in such a short period of time. But thank you, Canadian listeners, for that. So Kate is very early in her grief journey. Her son, Miles, died just five months ago now. In fact, Kate and her husband began listening to the podcast a couple of weeks before Miles died when they knew his illness was terminal and they brought him home to die. I think they were grasping and hoping to get any way to prepare a little bit for the death of Miles. But as we all know, you really can't prepare for the loss of your child, no matter how hard you may want to. So in today's episode, we talk about this raw, real grief, and there are a lot of tears shed, but tears are good and tears are understandable. Kate certainly brought me back to some of those first days and months after Andy died. 
And I know she's not feeling very amazing or awesome right now, but I do know that she has so much to offer other grieving parents, even now so early. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for agreeing to come on the show today and share your son, Miles, with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes. You came to me in a rather unique way because you wrote to me at a time when Miles actually was still alive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. My my husband and I found your podcast when our son was diagnosed terminal. Um, mm-hmm. So we we brought him home uh, to die and we um, we sort of stumbled upon your podcast. I was just desperately searching for anything that was going to help prepare us for the inevitable. Um, and yeah, I stumbled upon, thankfully stumbled upon um, your amazing podcast and we listened to it like voraciously for <laughs> the, the three weeks that we had him at home. We just, um, he, he slept a lot during that time. So I would literally have him on my chest and have my earbuds in listening to, um, to your episodes and they just helped immensely. So my husband actually said to me when he left this morning, he said, remember to thank Marcy for us, you know, thank her for, for all she does. And I said, I will. So yeah, I just want to start off by really thanking you. Your, your episodes helped us immensely during that time and since and I just I feel like what you're doing is just so important it's really shedding light on a topic that first of all people are kind of scared to talk about Mm -hmm. and second of all I think hearing other parents speak when you when you're going through you know losing a child I think hearing other parent is really one of the only things that brings immense comfort is to know that you're not alone and know that you know other people are are dealing with the exact same things that you are so Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I think you just feel so, so incredibly alone and isolated. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, hopefully, your personal friends and family haven't experienced this, right? Because child loss isn't that common. It's not that common to have your child die. And part of that is is good. It's great. Right. Right. Overall, it's great. Yeah. And and all of us, of course, in this special little club would never wish this pain on anybody else. And so, you know, you're just sort of left in this wilderness alone and um, you really, it's so isolating. And I, I, I just, I am so grateful that we found your podcast and so grateful that, you know, we've been able to hear the stories of other parents and, and at, at different stages in their grief as well. And I think that was really key for us was that small beacon of hope that even though we were in what we knew would be you know, the darkest, hopefully the darkest time of our lives, Mm -hmm. that there was this little beacon of hope that other parents were out there. And like, guess what, they were still, you know, living and able to speak about um, their loss and able to sort of reflect and, and, you know, be get get to a place of, of healing. And that was just so hopeful for us. Because when we first brought them home, it was I mean, yeah, just devastating, especially when you bring him home. And because quote, there is no hope, right? I mean, that's like, there's no more hope. We there's nothing else we can do. Take him home. And but really, there, 
there was no hope of Miles conquering his illness, but that doesn't mean there's no hope for your life forever. Yeah. And there, there is a difference. And, um, but I'm glad that was able to help you. But for now, I just want to hear all about Miles. So you talk about Miles and who he was as a little guy and just all about him. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So Miles is our, our first and only child. He, uh, he was born in February of 2020 and he came to us after years of infertility struggles. So we actually, he was conceived through IVF, mm-hmm. you know, it, we waited a long time for him. Yeah. So when he came, um, he was just the sweetest, happiest little baby. Like he, I mean, I, I, we were ready, obviously, to, to have that change in our lives to be mm-hmm. new parents, but, but he just, he made it easy. Like he was, he was so just contented and calm and happy. He was just, he was a lovely, a lovely baby. So yeah, we, we went through the first couple of months as it's a blur with figuring out, you know, mm-hmm. how to, how to be parents and be sleep deprived and still, you know, manage to, to get up and function. So yeah, we, we had a great couple of months and, mm-hmm. and it was the beginning of COVID. So he was born February, 2020. So it was really a month before everything hit. Yeah. Yeah. So things drastically changed, obviously in March, we were, you know, isolating and unable to really introduce him to a lot of our family. So it was a strange time. It was like this time of joy and wanting to share our new baby. Mm -hmm. And then also having, having, you know, this scary pandemic happening where we couldn't really share him. So yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of an interesting first couple of months, but anyway, we, uh, yeah, we went along and, and then in, in April around Easter weekend, um, my husband was just playing with miles and, and just noticed that his right foot felt a little bit more firm than his left foot. Like it was a really subtle difference, but it was like a little, little bump. So, you know, my husband sort of said like, like, this is weird like, feel this, doesn't it feel different? And so we kind of, you know, looked at it and whatever. And in Ontario, we have, we have like a 24 hour, this was the weekend. So um, we have a 24 hour health service called telehealth. So you can call in and explain, you know, what's going on. And we also have a couple of friends who are nurses and doctors. So we were texting people and just saying like, this is weird. You know, should we be worried? Should we bring them in? Could Mm -hmm. this be an infection? Of course we were looking for signs of infection, you know, any, any streaking or anything worrisome. Um, And there was nothing. And it was just this little innocuous kind of bump under, under uh, the ball of a foot. So anyway, we got referred um, after the weekend, we got referred out to get some imaging done. So the initial ultrasound result came back saying, you know, that there was this, this small, you know, mass, but that it was almost certainly benign and that, and that, you know, it was likely um, a hemangioma, which I'm sure you Mm -hmm. understand what that is. So it's like a a tangled, like a series of tangled blood vessels Mm -hmm. under the skin. Yeah. So that's what they thought it was. You know, we we wanted to investigate further. I, I even if it was a hemangioma, we wanted to you know know what that was. So we got referred to a pediatrician down uh, about half an hour from where we live, in Aurelia, and she was wonderful. She took a look at it and she said, you know, it's a little bit like a hemangioma doesn't usually happen in this spot, like in the in the bottom of the foot. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, a strange place. So she said. I'm going to refer you down to dermatology at sick kids hospital, which is our big children's hospital in the mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. in Toronto. So she sent a referral down and in the meantime, they ordered an MRI and the MRI, um, 
found the mass again, but this time the first we heard that uh, it could be cancer was basically when our pediatrician called us and said dermatology would like to bring in oncology for a consult. And that was the first, you know, really scary moment. It was, I remember being at home alone. Uh, my husband was at work and and they called, uh, our pediatrician called just to give us a heads up and said, you know, they don't know anything yet, but right. they're calling in oncology. I just don't want you to be surprised when you're down at sick kids that oncology is coming in for a consult. And it was like, okay, so this yeah. is, you know, so we had obviously lots of questions and we were terrified. And sure enough, after the, the team down at sick kids got the imaging and, and did the exam, they, they brought in oncology and I'll never forget the oncologist coming in and, you know, she was wearing her mask and, you know, I could just see her eyes and I knew, I just knew it was bad. So yeah, yeah she told us, she told us that he likely had um, a form of sarcoma, which is a, t a soft tissue cancer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she said that, that they have a great team and they'd be working with us and, um, and that we'd, you know, we'd get a biopsy done and figure out where to go from there. So mm -hmm. Flash forward sort of two or three weeks, um, we were waiting for the biopsy was he went in and had his biopsy and um, we were waiting for the results. But in the meantime, his foot was was growing quite alarmingly, actually, it, it was really growing quickly. And so we sort of pushed to get him admitted sooner, right? Said, you know, if the if the initial biopsy result has shown that this is cancer, then we need to start treatment. Like th this is, it's growing really fast. So mm -hmm. luckily the team uh, was amazing. Our, our, um, circle, like our soft tissue cancer team was phenomenal and they got us in and basically we started chemo within, yeah, within uh, a month of him having his first image of his foot. So, so they recommended five rounds of chemo. So we started um, chemotherapy in May and, and then he had chemotherapy until August, but in May, they also, by the end of May, early June, they also told us that he was going to have to have his, his foot amputated. Mm -hmm. So that was another huge, you know, moment right. for us. That was just reimagining what his life would look like, you know, living with any, any disability obviously is nothing you want for your child. I mean, we knew that, that his, his sort of fiery little spirit would be able to handle it, but, but it was a big, a big pill to swallow. Sure. So, yeah. So he got scheduled for, um, his amputation surgery in September after he finished chemo. So we went through the summer in the hospital, in and out of the hospital fevers and blood work and transfusions and all the fun stuff that comes with chemo. And yeah, he had his, uh, his right foot amputated in September. And at that point we kind of thought that it was behind us. Like we thought, you mm -hmm. know, the chemo had worked really well. He had responded really well to the chemo and with this amputation, it was quite an aggressive, you know, treatment plan. So we thought, okay, like this is, this is good. So we had some imaging done, uh, in the fall images looked relatively clear. The, um, they had also found traces of cancer in his lymph nodes by this point. Okay but the chemo had, had cleared them up. So in the round of imaging after his, after his surgery, they also resected a couple of lymph nodes from behind his knee during the surgery. And those showed that, that there was no active cancer behind his knee. Wow. Yeah. So that was very encouraging. Yeah. 
Very encouraging. Yeah. And again, he, he was just such a, such a happy little guy. Like he rebounded from the surgery so well, we have this one picture and he was literally waking up from after his sedation. It was a six and a half hour surgery. And we of course were beside ourselves with anxiety and Mm -hmm. Went to see him in, in the recovery room and he sort of stirred awake. And then we have this one picture of literally him waking up and just like beaming smile looking up at me really? and out. Like he just, he was, he was amazing. He pulled us through. He really did. He pulled us through um, that time because we were obviously terrified. And, and he just, he was like, yeah, guys, it's okay. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so- yeah. Yeah. He was, he was truly incredible. Yeah. So he recovered really well from his surgery in September. And then um, we had some good scans, really encouraging scans in the fall. And he went to get fitted at this amazing rehab hospital we have here in Toronto, well, in Toronto, just south of us, that's uh, called Holland Bloorview. And they, um, they do all sorts of amazing stuff with, with kiddos with a variety of disabilities. So he got fitted for his first little prosthesis, which was like this big, just yeah. this little um, aesthetic <laughs> leg. So he got fitted for it and um, he was starting to, to use it. He was just starting to kind of crawl and get used to it and, you know, jump on it in his little jolly jumper. You know, he was, he was really showing signs of like, you know, again, like I'm fine. I'm going to make this happen and it's mm-hmm. going to be good. You know, I know you guys are worried, but it's going to be good. So, you know, we, we went through the fall and we had um, a wonderful Christmas. We had one set of scans in December, right before Christmas, and they showed a little bit of an enlargement in a couple of the lymph nodes behind his knee again. But the, the doctors reassured us that a lot of times after a lymph node resection surgery, the lymph takes some time to reroute. So sometimes it can cause an enlargement of the other lymph nodes because they're compensating. Mm-hmm. So they sort of said like, you know, we're not overly worried. We're going to monitor it, but we're not overly worried. So go home, have a great Christmas. And we did. So even though that little dark place in the back of your mind is going, what if, what if, um, we still had a wonderful Christmas. So we went home and spent a little bit of time with family, even though here we were in various stages of lockdown and stuff, but we Mm -hmm. isolated, blah, blah, blah. So we were able to spend time with family over Christmas, which was lovely. Mm -hmm. So we had just this magical first Christmas as a family. We wore like matching pajamas and the whole thing. It was, it was really, really lovely. And then, um, yeah, in early January, Miles started, started showing some strange symptoms. Like he, he started vomiting at strange times, sort of early in the morning sometimes. And so, you know, again, we brought this to, at this point, we were sort of in between our regular family doctor and our oncology team because we Again, we thought, you know, any of these things could be just baby things. So we we contacted our family doctor when, uh, when he started vomiting and, you know, he sort of said it could be reflux, could be just something that he ate, you know, it was just kind of the sporadic vomiting every couple of days. And then into January, it started progressing a little bit where, um, where the vomiting became a little bit more frequent and more worrisome. So we brought him in and ultimately uh, we had a checkup at sick kids and they found that the cancer had metastasized. So they did some imaging of his brain. And basically at that point, yeah, there were, um, there were too many lesions for them to recommend any course of treatment. So we got that news January 20th, I believe. And they basically said, there's, yeah, there's not much we can do. It's too progressed. So yeah. yeah. 
what a turnaround too from the week before Christmas yeah. to be like, oh, there are a couple little lymph nodes and we think it's really okay. It's really nothing to, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. It just, you know, as I'm sure you can relate to, it felt like a bad dream. Like it just felt like this isn't possible. Yeah. Like this is not, this can't be real. Right. So yeah. So they, um, they basically, you know, gave us a few options of, of what to do. Um, none of them really included treatment that we would be comfortable with. And ethically, the doctors didn't feel that any course of treatment was, was going to, you know, it mm. would have ultimately really diminished his remaining quality of life. So, right, right, right. and so we brought him home and, uh, you know, by this point, some of it was amazing how quickly he declined. Like it was almost like he knew as soon as he got to the hospital that he could really you know, like show how bad it was because he really wasn't showing other than vomiting. He wasn't showing any other mm -hmm. major neurological symptoms before that. But in the couple of days we were in the hospital and then after the general anesthesia from the MRI, he was, he was definitely a, a bit of a different boy, mm -hmm. you know, over those few days, he really started to decline. So yeah, we, um, we decided to bring him home. So we brought him home to our home in Bracebridge and, um, we basically just, you know, waited for him to die. Those three weeks were like indescribable. Yeah. It's just, you know, when you know that it's inevitable, you're just kind of on the edge of your seat waiting for something to happen. And, you know, we wanted to make sure to make his last few weeks as joyful as possible because mm -hmm. that's, that was so him. We didn't want to, you know, sit around crying. We just wanted to when he had his wakeful moments, we would play with him and read to him and, and sing to him and make sure that, um, that we were giving him as best a last little bit of time as we could. So yeah. 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 He turned one on February 5th when we were so happy that he made it Yeah, because we weren't sure that he was going to make it to his first birthday, but he made it, which uh, we always joke that he had FOMO fear of missing out. <laughs> so we were not <laughs> really surprised that he made it to his birthday because like he was the type of baby where like if there was action he was in it you know yeah. so missing missing a chance for a party was like not an option for him right so, yeah so we celebrated his his first birthday and you know he, he was you know he had some wakeful moments and was and opened some presents and you know he had his little feeding tube and everything else but but yeah he um we enjoyed his first birthday and then and then really after that things declined pretty rapidly mm -hmm. and he passed away four days after his birthday so he passed away on the ninth. so yeah. yeah we know we did everything we could but you still always wonder you know, what if, or what if, you know, what if we could, had caught it sooner? Or what if they had done, you know, done a scan of his brain early on? We never had any reason to suspect he had a really rare form of, of sarcoma, but they never had reason to suspect that it would have metastasized to his brain when there was really no other evidence, you know, in his no. torso or yeah. neck or you know, lymph nodes in his neck. Like there was never any evidence to suggest that they should have scanned his head. So and such an aggressive cancer growing so, so fast. Yeah, it was incredible. And honestly, usually when you have an aggressive, faster growing tumor, it responds pretty well to treatment. And interestingly, yeah. it's because you can really attack fast growing cells and they're growing so incredibly fast that it's oftentimes a little easier to kill them. So yeah. 
I can certainly see why the team was very optimistic. I mean, I would have been too. Like if I would have been your pediatrician, I would have been feeling really good about about everything and how it went. And they did, you know, they were, uh, our team was just incredible. Like they really were phenomenal and they, um, you know, they were, they were devastated when, yeah. when we got news, like they were devastated and, you know, we all just stood there in the room and cried together. And it was like, you know, they just said, we never, never would have thought in a million years that, that this is how it would go. So yeah, yeah it was just, a, it was just an incredibly aggressive cancer. And I think, I mean, you can probably speak to this medically, but, you know, I think in babies, their cells are growing and dividing so quickly mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, once, once this, this aggressive cancer took hold, it was like, it was kind of like, I don't know if we ever had a fighting chance, you know, right. it was, it was just so, so aggressive and awful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, wow. yeah. So we lost him. We lost him in February and it's just, it's just awful those days following you know after they took him away it was like this silence in the house yeah and it was you know we we worked so long and so hard to have him and we had we had our family finally yeah yeah we had everything we wanted and then it just you know it still sometimes feels like a dream where it's just like his life was relatively you know short even though you know we had lots of amazing moments but his life was so short that it feels like you know after he was gone it's kind of like was that real like right that whole life real it's just so bizarre so yeah because it really hasn't been that long yet even since he's been gone it was five months last week so yeah 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 Oh, honey, I know when you wrote to me back in January, you wrote to me that you had just brought him home. And oh, my heart just broke for you. And I just kind of waited, knowing that someday you would write back. Um, Yeah. And I'm so sorry. Did you have hospice and things like that? I just wonder with, with it being in such a hard part of the pandemic, what kind of support did you get? Well, the uh, the team at SickKids, they they have a palliative team, the, yep. the PAC team. They're the pediatric advanced care team. Mm-hmm. And they came in as soon as we got his terminal diagnosis. They came in and basically said, you know, you're welcome to stay here at the hospital to, to you know, live out the next however long he has mm-hmm. here. They were amazing. They just said, you know, we want you to consider this home. If that's where you choose to have him die, we'll, we'll support you in, in that decision completely. So we could have stayed at the hospital. And then there is a hospice that's about an hour south of where we live in Barrie, Ontario. And they are equipped to take to take pediatric mm-hmm. cases. But but we just felt, you know what, like mm-hmm. as much as as much as hospice was something we considered very, very quick, you know, briefly, it was really my husband who said, you know, we've been, we've been doing a lot of his medical care through chemo anyway. Um, you know, yeah. I became as a lot of parents, you know, medical parents do you, you become kind of a pseudo nurse. So mm-hmm. I had, um, I had done a bunch of training for, you know, managing his, uh, his pick line and all the different stuff with his chemo care. So 
we knew that there would be some, you know, some medical care involved, but we, ha- we also had an amazing, amazing home care nurse okay. who was through, through Miles's chemo treatment. She was our home care nurse. She did all of the, the visits for his dressing changes and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so she actually in a strange twist, she, um, she also works in palliative care. So we knew that she would be able to come and, and be our home care nurse while he was at home to die. So, yeah, so she was able to, that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was amazing. She's just like, yeah, she's, she's phenomenal. So she was able to give us, um, you know, the daily home visits and stuff and manages pain. And so we just, we felt really quite supported in being able to to bring him home to die, um, even though it was. I mean, scary as heck, like, you know, you know that you're going to be on your own for most of the day mm-hmm. managing, you know, making sure, I mean, pain was the biggest, obviously the biggest thing we wanted to avoid. And, and so, you know, managing, making sure we stayed on top of his pain was our biggest priority. Yeah. So, you know, um, we just, you know, had to set alarms for all of his meds and make sure that we were administering all of his meds properly. And so that was a big stress, but I, looking back, I don't think we would have wanted it any other way. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I mean, I'm sure there is such, I mean, not comfort exactly, but just a little bit of satisfaction that you were able to do everything that you could, you know, and you were able to be the one caring for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I genuinely, we've talked about it, my husband and I a lot and you know, I don't think he would have lasted until his birthday if he hadn't have been at home. I really don't. Yeah. I think that, you know, just having that familiar surrounding and, you know, we had him, you know, sleeping in our bed with us. And, you know, I just don't think, I don't think he would have lasted. Yeah. If we, had, if we hadn't brought him home and been just in our familiar space with him. I think that that for us was, was just the right thing to do. And so special for you to be able to have that moment and have, you know, those pictures and just that time to be able to celebrate that huge milestone, because that was a huge milestone, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, To be able to do that with everything that he went through. So what about family? Did you have family that was able to spend time with you then? We did. So again, in this sort of a coincidental turn of events, my parents had come to visit just after Christmas. So they were here in January. They were here um, when we had first brought him down to the hospital. So, you know, they were, they were here at our, staying at our home when we got, uh, my parents live about four hours away in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And so they just happened to be staying here when we got that diagnosis and when we brought him home. So they said, if you'll have us, my, my husband's parents live just down the road and we're all very close. And so they, they said, if you want us to stay until he, he passes, we're here, like we're here for you. So they were amazing. So they, they uh, ended up staying at my in-laws just so we could all have face and stuff. So they stayed at my in-laws for for three weeks they were there and we would initially they all came to visit at the same time all the grandparents they would come every day for a chunk of time to to you know be with him and, and hold him and play with him and and then it got to be you know as he was starting to decline we felt that it was easier to just have one set of them at a time so mm-hmm. you know, my parents would come one day um my husband Kent's parents would come the next day and so it was a really precious time looking back it's like you know I'm just so glad that they 
they got that time with him because Mm -hmm. you know it was it was precious and we weren't you know we weren't letting especially because of covid um we weren't letting a lot of people you know visit we didn't have any other than our nurse we literally yeah i mean that was your little bubble your little bubble around him yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had we had our siblings come um, and our, our nieces and nephews just to kind of say goodbye um, the day after we got home. But other than that, um, especially as he declined, we just, you know, we wanted to just yeah. have that time with him. So, well, and it was a blessing really for your for all those grandparents to be able to be together and support each other through that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they, <laughs> they joked, they, uh, you know, drank a lot of wine and watched a lot of movies. <laughs> and uh, they, yeah. they, during that time living together, they, you know, they were already really close friends. But I think that experience has definitely, obviously brought them closer. I think that that they were able to just, you know, just lean on each other um, in a way that because, you know, for grandparents and my mom and I have talked about this. I think for grandparents, it's kind of, it's almost like a double whammy because Mm -hmm. they're hurting, they're hurting and grieving for their grandchild, but they're also hurting so much for their child. Yeah. You know, to watch your child grieve. I mean, so hard, so hard, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's awful. So, you know, they, she just, my mom has said on multiple occasions, like my heart just my heart hurts so much for you guys, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think of that even as losing Andy and, and having other kids, right? I mean, to watch them mourn their brother was really hard too. I mean, as much pain as I'm in, then to see your kids in pain is really just awful. It's, it's awful to experience. So I can see that would be so hard for grandparents and so much too. I've heard from some different grandparents too, and they oftentimes can not even be so focused on their child and trying to support their child's grief that they almost ignore their own a little bit. So that's why I'm so glad that they all had each other because they could mourn with each other as grandparents and not always feel like they have to take this parent role of trying to do whatever they can for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. They were, they were really able to lean on one another. And I think, um, you know, looking back, I really think that that time, time for as much as it was to support us, it was a time for them to be supported by one another. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, they, they were a huge, huge source of comfort and support for us during that time. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I'll never, yeah, I'll never forget the, those, those moments that we had, you know, my dad plays guitar. And so he would sit with Miles and play guitar and both of our dads play guitar. So they would play guitar with Miles and you know, our moms would, would just cuddle with him and, oh. and just, you know, even just, even just lie with us in bed when he was sleeping, you know, they'd just come in and just to spend time together. It was yeah. really special. Yeah, that is special. And I, you are a hundred percent right that he lived longer than he would have had he not been at home. I think about yeah. what wonderful moments he had and to be able to be sung to and cuddled and all of that. Yeah. He wouldn't have had that at a hospital. No. No, no. no. And I mean, not to diminish our hospitals, they're amazing. But, you know, like, it's just it's a different environment. You've got beeping machines, and you've got nurses in and out. And 
You know, I just, I think that to be able to have that time together in our home was, yeah, it, it was, it was definitely the right choice for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talk about that time afterward, then after Miles died, and you mentioned just briefly, you know, when they took him away. (laughs) It, it's still, that's the, that's, one of the ways I keep coming back to describing it is, is like a dream. I mean, parts of it feel like a really bad dream and scary dream and sad, mm-hmm. but parts of, you know, parts of it, his life and, and even his illness and when he was dying feel like this beautiful dream. And, and so I spent a lot of time in the first few weeks in that sort of dream state where it was like, you know, you wake up and in those first few moments of waking up, you just, you wonder like, was that real? Like, yeah. is this, is this really happening? So, you know, those first, those first few weeks when we were just at home without him, it would just be waking up. And I mean, you know, that feeling where it's just, you, you get a, like the biggest punch in the gut you've ever had yeah. every day. Yeah every every minute of every day it's just it's the pain is just it's just indescribable like it's really it's it's nothing like I ever would have imagined right right Um, it's just really and and it's it's disorienting that's the way I describe it is like yeah you just you feel like everything is it looks different. It's like waking up in a new, I think of like my favorite movie as a kid was Wizard of Oz. And uh-huh. it's like, you know, you, she, Dorothy wakes up after the tornado and she's in this, this new world. Like, it's just, everything looks different. Everything sounds different. Every, everything feels different. Like, it's just, it's a really, really bizarre experience to, to have a loss like this, you know? Yeah. So well, and what's uh, what I think about you is I know you were listening to the podcast and doing stuff to almost to try to get yourself ready, right? Yeah. But I know what I've been told by other people is you just can't get yourself ready. And it just, it's yeah. still like as much as you thought, okay, I'm going to be ready for this day, the day comes and like, wow, I really wasn't ready. Yeah. 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 It's so true. I mean, yeah, we were, we were, you know, listening to your podcast and doing a ton of reading. And, you know, I was, I was talking to my counselor who I had, I had been, you know, had a relationship with while Miles was sick. And, you know, you, you do all of these things, you're, you're just grasping at anything to try to prepare yourself uh, Mm -hmm. because you know, it's coming. You, there's, it's, it's like a, you know, a train. It's just like, it's, it's coming and there's no way to avoid it. And so, you, yeah, you're doing anything desperately to try to prepare yourself in that sort of, and and that's, you know, I've done a lot of reading about that, that kind of anticipatory grief where you're, Mm -hmm. you're grieving something happening before it actually happens. And then when it actually happens, it's, it's not like you imagined, even Mm -hmm. though you've prepared yourself. And yeah, it was, uh, it was really, it was really strange. So, you know, it's, uh, as you know, it's, I, 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 sometimes resent some of the analogies of grief, like a, you know, a journey and mm-hmm. a whatever, but. My, my think, husband hates that term. He hates yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, hates the term journey. And I, I tend to use it because yeah. there, there isn't much better. I just feel like no. I've tried to search for a better term 
but there yeah. just isn't much better. So no. I end up using it anyway. And I just don't use it yeah. in front of him because it irritates him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll set him up. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I think, I, I think that that word, you know, especially journey comes, comes up. And I think the reason it comes up is because it is really like you're, you're walking on this path and, and it's not linear and it, and it changes from minute to minute. It changes mm-hmm. from second to second. And, you know, it's like uh, well-meaning family and friends, you know, would ask, especially in the early days, like, what do you need? What do you need? And it's like, I, I literally don't know, don't know because mm-hmm. it changes every second of every day. Sometimes I need to cry and have someone listen. Sometimes I need to escape and not talk about it. Sometimes I need to, you know, just sit in silence and think about him. And, you know, it's like, there's just the, I think that's, that's the idea of the journey is that it's, it's ever changing. It's ever like the landscape and the, the re, your reality is just, it's in flux all the time. And so, you know, that those, those early days, I think, I think the early days, you know, directly following his death were that acute, you know, like just gut wrenching, Mm -hmm. acute pain that you think you really think, you know, how, how can I function? How can I do anything? And Mm -hmm. I know you've probably had tons of people say this to you, but you know, like, I don't know how you're doing it. And again, we've, and the I response is always, podcast. I don't know like, either. <laughs> I, I don't know either. And, and I don't have a choice. You I know? don't have you a basically, choice. Well, my husband and I, you know, had a very frank conversation, you know, when we had another friend say to us, like, I, I just don't know how you guys are doing this. I don't know how you're getting up. And it's like, well, in grief, you basically have two choices. You can either get up and try to function in your life as best mm-hmm. you can, or you can literally curl up and, and completely retreat or, or, you know, end your life, like really as, as awful as that sounds, you really do have those two choices and it's not even a conscious decision. I mean, if you obviously have supportive people in your life and you have, you know, you make the decision to live, then you just do it. You, you, there's really no other way, but through, and again, it's well-intending people, but to have people say like, I don't know how you're doing it. It's like, it's like, well, you would do it. You, you have no choice. Yeah. Like you just, you just wake up and every day is different, but you go through it. Yeah. You, you're right. I hate that too. I really, and I get that yeah. a ton from people that they yeah. don't know how I do it. And yeah, I usually just say, I don't know either, but you just do. You just do. Yeah. And I think back to, to what you said about waking up every day, just thinking back to waking up every day. And for a minute, you forget, right? For just a minute, yeah. a second, you forget. Yeah. And my mind would always come back to, you know, it would just be like someone screaming in my head, Andy's dead, Andy's dead over and over and like it was just it's so horrible because you just I think I just don't want to quite believe it and part of my brain is telling me you have to believe it I have to you have to get it in your head to accept that this has happened right and so that's why it would just go in my head again and again and again to just like 
you need to accept this because yeah. I don't want to. I mean, you don't want to accept it. You don't. No, and it's almost like your rational, your rational brain is trying to convey it to like your body and your heart. Right. Your body and your heart just can't accept it. Right. And so your brain just does everything it can to bring you back and say like, this happened. This is true. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's exactly right. It's your rational brain trying to convince your heart and soul and your being that this really just happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. And you just don't want to. I mean, I remember going to support group. I've said this on the show before and I sitting in support group that very first time and a little voice in my head was saying, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Just run. Just run. This is not happening to you. This is not your life. You are not one of these people. Yeah. But I was. But I was. And I still am. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that, um, I, you know, I've, I've talked to my counselor a lot about this because one of the models of grief, one of the only models of grief that I had ever been exposed to was the sort of stages of grief, the yeah. Ross Kubler, whatever stages yeah. of grief. And, you know, my counselor explained that that was, that's been largely taken out of context and that these, right. these stages, you know, right. anyway, but, but one of the sort of stages of grief is that, that shock and disbelief. And so I remember saying to my counselor, even several weeks after he had passed, I said, I think I'm still in shock. Like, is that possible that I still have, as you described, waking up and, and having these moments of, you know, like, is this, how can this be real? Like, I can't, this complete and utter disbelief that this is your reality. And I remember saying to her, like, is it not, is it okay, but like, is it normal to still be in shock? And even months after, mm-hmm. I mean, five months later, and I, I, I truly feel like I'm still in shock. I think you are. That this, that this is our story. This is our life. You know, I think I was and in like, shock for sure for at least six months, at least. Yeah. Yeah. But you kind of, the, the way you think about shock, I mean, yeah, actual physical shock, like following, you know, following an accident or anything, your, your body physically goes into that state of shock. But whenever I think of shock, I think of like that initial aftermath right. of the shock and, and then it dissipates. And then somehow your brain does, you know, sort of accept and start to, and start to process at least in some way. But I still, I wake up most days in shock. I wake yeah. up most days, thinking, you know, how, how yeah. is this, how is reality? this my life? How is this yeah. my life? Yeah, yeah, like, and how did we get here? You know, right. my husband and I will sometimes look at each other and just say, "How did we get here?" You know, like, yeah. how, how is this? How is this our life? Yeah, you know? go from that happy pregnancy, those blissful first couple yeah. of months, to this. Yeah, yeah. like, how yeah. did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and how did it? You know, it's it's, I guess, cliche to say, you know, why us? But you know, you look at we're surrounded by friends and family who have these perfect healthy babies and a lot of them you know a lot of them thankfully got you know were able to conceive pretty quickly and you know they have these these perfect healthy babies and then you know you look at us and it's just like why 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 was he taken from us after such a long you know a long struggle to get him in the first place you know it's just yeah, it's uh, it really is that that shock. I don't think has gone away for me, and I I keep sort of waiting for it to to dissipate and waiting for it to wake up one day and not feel like I'm in shock. You know? Yeah, 
And and I think that just it just comes and goes and and I you know I said to you I think I was in shock for at least 6 months. But and and I can't tell you like the day that yeah. it stopped happening and I still I still will have days. I remember one just not not long ago, we were at my in-laws yeah. house up at the lake and you know the kids were around and I had this feeling of this just isn't right. This just yeah. can't be happening. Like I am yeah. 3 years out, you know, next month, 3 years and I still had a moment of this can't really be happening. This really isn't your life right now. Like yeah. My all five grandchildren should be there, not just yeah. four, right? Yeah. It's just it's so crazy that I feel like that can still sneak in on you yeah. at moments that you don't expect it, you know? Well, because it isn't, you know, it isn't right. And it isn't the way it's supposed to be. I mean, Andy's supposed to be with your family and Miles is supposed to be with our family. Like right. there was, it's not, it, it isn't something logical or, it, you know, it, it really, it really isn't right. And so I, you know, I, I guess. We have that conversation. Our, my husband and I have that conversation yeah. all the time. Like, yeah. This just isn't right. It's just not yeah. right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so I, yeah. I, it's nice to hear you say it like that because I feel like that's what we say. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I, you know, I do think that it, you know, it doesn't surprise me in some ways that even though you're three years out, you still, it's this, it's this deep internal feeling like this is not how things are supposed to be. And you, I spend a lot of time imagining, I just had, um, we just had a family trip where it was the same thing. Some of the grandchildren were there um, and his cousins and, you know, um, and and I had that same feeling of, I just, I spent most of that family vacation imagining him there, imagining what he would have said and, or not said, he wasn't talking, but how he would have been and you know, he would have been 17 months old. Um, he would have been toddling around on that little yeah. leg, right? Exactly. Yeah, in his little exactly. So, I, I picture him, you know, I pictured him by the water playing with his cousins, toddling around on his prosthesis and chasing the ducks and trying to feed the ducks. And, you know, I would I would literally vividly be able to picture him there. You know, yeah. and it's like. And it's, I feel like that's what our mind does to kind of protect us a little bit and to give us. Yeah. Because in some ways, I always feel like I, I shouldn't do that, which Gwen always says, don't should yourself. So I, I whenever I say <laughs> yeah. you shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing something. It's, it's you know, yeah. but, but I think it's, it's my mind and my brain trying to just get a little moment of happiness, right? Yeah. And if me just, yeah. just pretending just for a second, you know, yeah. that, you know, one of and on Andy's birthday, his his best friend came over and I hugged him. And for a second, I let myself pretend I was hugging my boy. You know, yeah. just for yeah. a second. And I knew I wasn't. I knew that. But I just needed that for a second. Yeah. I needed to pretend like I was holding mine, not somebody yeah. else's. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, when you're when you're dealing with such heaviness all the time and missing them, I think it only makes sense that we, we try to give ourselves these little moments of, of 
happiness than trying to trying to picture um, the life that should have been, you right. know, that our, our reality that should have been, um, you know, imagining that if that can give us a moment of, of relief or peace, I think that, you know, it makes sense that our minds go there um, because mm-hmm. that's what, you know, that's what we, we want. We want right. them here. We want, and you get just a little bit them. of peace and a little bit of comfort and it brings me a little bit of happiness, even if it's just for a minute and then I have to go back. Um, yeah. but I think it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's what you need to do for yourself sometimes. Yeah. 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 And it's, it feels good in those moments to do that. And so, you know, I've had one of my best friends always says to me right now, you need to do what feels good and yeah. what, what feels good might be, you know, yeah, imagining those moments with him, what feels good might be saying no to going somewhere or doing something with family. We, uh, my husband and I recently sort of made a decision if, if travel allows that we'll get away next Christmas, because I think Christmas is just going to be really painful, especially because we had such a magical Christmas this year. Yeah. And I know that you can't escape it. You can't run away from it. But at the end of the day, I think that being in our home for Christmas would just be too difficult this yeah. year. We left our first Christmas. We took Did off. Did you? Oh, oh yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. it was actually Good very off. funny because we were in our grief support group and like, what's everybody doing for Christmas? And I was like, well, we are getting in an airplane on Christmas Eve and flying to Vegas. <laughs> Now, my aunt lives in Vegas, so it wasn't us like going gambling in Vegas. We actually went to sleep with my family, but but it okay. was it was really beautiful. We did it actually Christmas Eve night. We were like on the plane Christmas Eve night when we normally would wow. be opening presents and celebrating and doing all of this. I was like, yeah. I don't want to be anywhere, right? Yeah. I don't. I don't. So we yeah. flew out there. And, and I think it was also nice, too, because we didn't get in until like, I don't know, way after midnight. So... So that then my aunt and and her children grandchildren could have I think a little bit of a nice Christmas before the morning people got there you know all the bereaved <laughs> sad the people <laughs> but but that was kind of nice for me because I felt like I didn't ruin any I like ruin anybody's Christmas that yeah, way yeah, yeah but yeah and I was around family because we needed to be around family and I was far away from what we normally yeah. would have done. Right. Yeah. We were not yeah. in Michigan. We we're not with oftentimes we're with Eric's family. We we're not. I didn't put up a Christmas tree. I didn't do any yeah. of it. Nothing. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah. I didn't buy Christmas presents. And like there were people that said you didn't get your kids Christmas presents. Like, nope, nope, nope. we didn't. Nope. I just didn't I just couldn't. We couldn't do any yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's hard. That's hard to explain. I don't know if you had a, a hard time explaining, but I think that's, that can be a difficult thing to explain to the rest of the family that, that yeah. desire to just get away and, and get out of anything that, that is reminding you of, of what that Christmas should look like, you yeah. know? And, and I think it's, it's a tricky thing to explain. And I, I recently just sort of mentioned to my mom and I, you know, I think I could tell, you know, I, I think she's a little bit sort of, you know, wondering, wondering oh, yeah. why or wondering why we might need, you know, and I think my husband and I, for us, I think it needs to be just us. Like I, and it's no, you know, no slight on our family. We love our family dearly, but, but it's just, I think for us, we need, we need to just get out of Dodge and do something totally different and, mm-hmm. and not be, you know, not be feeling 
I mean, we're going to feel his absence, but not be feeling his absence in such a pronounced way yeah. in contrast to our, our perfect Christmas last year, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I love the holidays. I love, um, obviously we're in Canada, we have a lot of snow and, you know, I, I love that. But part of me is just like, I want, you know, palm trees and anything different. There anything you go. Vegas. Different. I tell you, yeah. it worked. <laughs> yeah, we might do Vegas. <laughs> Who knows? What's your aunt's address? <laughs> That's right. That's right. She's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. It, it's funny because I know yeah. that year too. I saw my dad. My dad lives out in that area, um, not in Vegas, but in that in that area. And he, because I said, yeah, I mean, I'm not buying you a Christmas present. Like I'm not getting because I, I think he was a little surprised that we didn't come like bearing gifts. And I then yeah. I was like. Oh, I didn't get anybody a Christmas present. It's not just you. Like, yeah. and, and he said, not even Peter or Catherine? Like, nope, nobody. I mean, it's, yeah. you have to just give me that. Like, you don't understand. And, yeah. and please just give me that, that I'm sorry I didn't get anything for you. And please, I would be really happy if you didn't get anything for me because I yeah. don't want it. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, you know, it's a tough, yeah, it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow for family, I think, because again, unless, you know, unless they've lost a child, they, they just, it's, it's very difficult to relate to, um, that feeling. And, and I think, yeah, I've, I, I talked to another, um, parent that I know through a grief group and, you know, we were talking about just sort of holidays and, and just that urge to just just not do it, not celebrate and not, you know, I think a lot of us share that, um, especially, um, you know, sounds like in the earlier stages and earlier, earlier, you know, years of our grief, it's like, you just, you don't feel like, like doing what you used to do. Mm -hmm. You need, need something different. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And I wouldn't encourage you to, well, first of all, I did do a surviving the holidays episode that you can listen to way back a long time ago, which I think would be helpful, but yeah. it's just kind of reassessing every time and every holiday. I I just told you earlier that our, you know, the three year anniversary of Andy's death is coming up and we're going to have to kind of reassess. What are we going to do this year? How are we going to, what's this going to look like? And I think every yeah. single one, you just need to approach it individually and say, how are we going to do this this year? What are we going to do? Um, and and really, as a as a couple, you know, to be able to get input on what do you need, what do I need, and and figure it out, figure out what's best for both of you, you know. Yeah, and I think that's all you can do. Really, is continually reassess, and and I mean, I think that's that's sort of a good um, piece of advice for anyone. I think is that continual reassessment of okay in this moment and in this on this holiday or on this anniversary what do we need what what do I need what do we need and what's gonna you know what's gonna feel good (laughs) I think it comes down to yeah what what my friend says you know you just you have to do what feels right and what feels good right now you can't do things for people right you can't you can't factor in you know you can't overthink as you usually would all of the different things and balance other people's needs and stuff it's Mm -hmm. like you can be you can really be selfish whatever. at that point. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. And it, you know, and I think that I think selfish is a tricky word because it, yeah. you know, it indicates that you're negativity that you're being and kind of malicious and, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, no, I think, I think being selfish at this point is actually like the highest form of self-care is like yes. being able to continually ask yourself, like, what do I need in this moment and what is going to make me feel good and what is going to make me okay right now. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that appears selfish to other people, that's, that's really on them honestly. I, I have a hard time with that because I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I like to, you know, I like to know that, that people are, you know, thinking, oh, wow, you know, they're, they're doing things that are thoughtful for other people or whatever. See, you're Canadian. Canadians are nice people, right? (laughs) We say please and thank you a lot, don't we? I know. I know you do. It's so funny you're explaining that. I was like, that's the stereotypical, what, what Americans think of Canadians, like Canadians are just always nice. I guess I'm just I'm playing right into those stairs. You are, you are, but that's okay because I'm Midwest nice because Midwest is is pretty right. nice too. Or yeah, or people will say, call it West Michigan nice because in West Michigan we're just kind of nice. And I'm oh, a pediatrician, and like pediatricians are always nice. I don't <laughs> I don't think you can be a mean pediatrician. We just hired a no. new person at our office to to be up in the front, and I said. And, you know, she could tell she was nervous. And I was like, you don't have to be nervous. We're all pediatricians. We're just nice. <laughs> we're just nice people. It's really hard to get us upset and mad. Yeah. It's like, we're just nice. <laughs> so anyway, you're Canadian nice. So that's yeah. that's good. Yeah, but you need to get a little bit of the, I don't know. Yeah. What do we have to do? Okay, we have to get uh, a, what's, what's the stereotypic more selfish, I would say maybe um, East Coast New Yorker or something. I was going right? to say New Yorker. That's yeah. That's the first thing. Mind. Yeah, I, I know. I, I think to, so like, too. Sorry to all New Yorkers who are listening. I know you're probably very nice people, but we have to, in these moments where you feel like you want to please other people, grasp yeah. a little bit of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Just take the essence of, of New York and just say, you know, no. I'm going to stick up for what I need. What I need right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing Miles with us today. Is there anything Um, else you feel like you really wanted to share with the audience? Any piece of advice or anything? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing for me has just been connecting with other grieving parents. I think that, you know, for anyone who's about to lose or has lost a child, I think, really finding those connections, whether even if it's like we're doing just virtually, like I connected with a woman from one of my grief groups and we have our own, you know, sort of Zoom chats every couple of weeks. And and I think it's to speak to someone who really speaks the same language as you do. And you can be completely yourself and not censor yourself and not, you know, do what we do to make other people comfortable around us. I think yeah. Yeah. I think it just really helps. We do. We speak, we speak a language that not a lot of people understand. And, and so, you can say things that would make other people uncomfortable and you know, it won't make them uncomfortable. And that is so yeah. precious and nice. It is. It is precious. Mm-hmm. And that's why, yeah, that's why I just, I, I'm so grateful for your podcast and I'm so grateful that you've taken this you know, or you've chosen this platform to honor Andy and you know, it's just, it really is helping to connect and reassure parents out there that, that, you know, there are other people who speak this language, even though we're a relatively small club, it's, um, you know, it is there, there's a ton of comfort in other grieving parents. So thank you for what you do. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.